We will be in the book of Mark. And just just keep that just keep keep that in mind. Keep all those songs just the worth and the majesty of Jesus in the front of our minds as we look at this very short paragraph at the end of the 6th chapter of Mark starting in verse 53. This is when they had crossed over they came to to land at Genesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. There are times when we read the, the Bible, the Gospels, stories about Jesus. There, there are times when we read them and they are kind of a challenge to understand. There's, there's customs that we aren't familiar with. There's maybe sometimes language we aren't familiar with. There are, are, are terms that we have to like try to remember what they mean. And then there's just like a simple, beautiful picture this is not one of the hard ones to understand. This is, this is an image that we can grab onto. And so let's enjoy the simplicity because it won't always be this simple. It won't always be this, like, this easy to just imagine the scene of what's happening as it is here in this text this morning. The simplicity of it is beautiful. There's really a very simple progression. Here, let's, let's look at it. Very simple. First thing, they recognized who Jesus was, verse 54. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. Now, they didn't recognize him as Messiah or as God or whatever, but they were like, wait, that's the healer. He's the, he's the rabbi. He's the one that, that, like, that fed the masses by, like, through that miracle. He's the one that's been casting demons out of people. He's, been, he's the one that's been uh, like, like helping restore people to physical health. He's, he's the one that we've heard about. That's him. So they recognized him. The second thing was they ran and they got their sick friends. Verse 55. So they recognized him and then they ran about the whole region. Okay, so they saw him and rather than be like, hey, let's hang out and talk to him. Let's meet him. Let's get a selfie with him, whatever. Uh, they're like, wait, that's the healer. We got to go. We got to go find people. So they ran about the whole region and they went and they found the, those who were sick. And uh, they went and found their sick friends. Verse 55. They ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. So they recognized him. They ran and they got their sick friends. The third thing, they brought, they brought them to him. And this was a literal thing and then and a spiritual thing too. Like, look at verse 56. Wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces. Okay, so that's a literal, like they brought, brought them to him in a literal sense. And implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. That, that implies more, a little bit more than just, let's just get them in the same room as him. That's an expression of, of faith, of, of trust, of there, there's some, something happens when, you, when, when the rabbi touches you. There's, there's something that happens. There's something special there. 
and he's so powerful. We didn't have to touch him or he didn't have to touch us. Can we just touch the, just reach out and touch the, like the fringe of his robe? There's enough power in him that transfers into his clothing. That's like all that it takes. But there's a, there's a faith that's there. So they, they recognize him. They run and they get their sick friends. They bring, him to, bring them to Jesus literally. They bring them to him. And they also spiritually bring them. They're saying, this guy can heal you. Just reach out and touch him. And then the fourth thing is they just let Jesus be Jesus. They just let him do his, his thing. And it says, and as ma- in, in the verse 56, as many as touched it were made well. That's all. We know who that is. Let's go get the people who need to get to him. Let's bring them to him and then just let him do his thing. And he did. And this happened in the cities. It happened in the villages. It happened in the, in the countryside. This is a summary of everywhere Jesus was going at this stage in his ministry. This is what would happen to him. In the cities where the, you know, like where the, the stereotype would be, there, there's a little more education, maybe a little more, you know, they have more resources, they have more things, that kind of stuff. Or the countryside where they're simple folk, you know. The countryside, that's where the farmers were, that kind of stuff. It did, everywhere he went, passing through a city, passing through the countryside, this was happening all the time. There is a recognition of who Jesus is and what he can do. And they desire to bring people to him who need what he has to offer. If you want a picture of the living hope vision, there, there it is. Like, people are like, well, what's, what's the vision of your church? I'm like, well, we, churches don't come up with their own vision. You know, they might package it a certain way. Uh, they might, you know, like set up a certain way to understand it or communicate it or whatever. It may have a, uh, uh, there may be like a, a catchy phrase or, you know, some bullet points and maybe some graphics and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the church does not come up with their own vision. We have been given vision. We've been given vision by our king, by the chief shepherd over us, by our pastor, our legit senior pastor. He has given it to us. And here we just see, we see what our role is, is to simply recognize him for who he is and bring people to him who need what he, what he is here to offer them. And then you let him do what he wants to do. So for them, it was, the, it was specifically here in this text, it was the physically sick. But for us, it, it's, it's more broad than that. You know, they're, they're physically sick because sin has, like, well, our, the world is broken. We, we all know that. Watch the news a little bit. Walk outside the doors of your house. Walk outside the doors of this place. I mean, we're, we're busted and we're broken people. That's what we're dealing with. And... Um, that brokenness in this text is talking about those whose the brokenness began, has surfaced in their physical sickness. So every one of us that ever gets sick, it is because of like sin that we are sick. We were not, we were not designed by God to like, to get sick, to grow old and to pass away. We were designed to live forever. Like you were, you were created for eternity. I was created for eternity all the people on the entire planet were created for eternity. And sin has hindered that. Sin has brought death upon us. And so this physical, these physical things that Jesus was doing, these miracles that he was performing, he's coming in as he's showing them, you are not meant to be sick. You're not built for sickness. You're built for eternal life. 
but you can't heal yourself. I have come to heal you. And so are we at Living Hope? Are we as Christians, as a part of us, are we supposed to, to like, are, is our mission for those who are sick? Well, yeah, and that's every one of us. It's not just physical, like our physical illnesses, though, that have broken us. We're, sin, sin has hindered us in a number of ways. Uh, sin broke our relationship to God. So rather than seeing him as, as a good and perfect father, we see him as a threat to our little kingdoms. And so we are born uh, separated from him and we are at odds with him. Sin did that to us. We're born, we see God as a rival. He sees us as a broken child. We see him as like, what are you trying to do with my world? You know, We are broken in relation to each other. So if you look back in the, in the beginnings of where all this happened, where God's telling us the story, Adam and Eve begin to like blame one another. That's where that all started. So anytime people are at odds with each other, whether it's two friends or husband and wife or parent and child or nation against nation, it all starts with that sin and that brokenness. So relation to God, relation to man, relation to self. Uh, we, are, we are all carrying this broken insecurity that we all have with us, um, this paranoia, this, um, in the way that we view ourselves. And so usually it manifests in pride. And so even pride is a reflection of our own insecurity. So when you see someone, you're like, man, that person's very full of themselves. It's very apparent. It's really because they're insecure and they're insecure because they're broken. And then there are people whose their insecurities manifest in being insecure. And so, you know, that's a little bit easier to trace. But it all comes back down to the fact that we're broken in relation to God, in relation to each other, and in relation to ourselves. And then kind of the fourth one, like when I, when I tend to think through this, and is, is creation, you know. So you watch a hurricane destroy a city, that's because creation is broken, broken as well. The earth is, is groaning and is longing for redemption, just like we are. And so in this text, it's talking about the physical, physically sick, but for us, we're talking about we're like broken people. We are, um, we are to recognize Jesus for who he is and to bring broken people to him and to let him do what he, only he can do. That's the, that's the mission. That's, that's the vision. And the good news is that, that, is that every one of us fall in that category. No one is an exception to that. No one's like, yeah, y'all need to be go doing all that. Y'all need to go do that thing. Because every one of us is broken ourselves, and we need what Jesus is offering us. And we have relationships with all these people around us all the time, and every single one of them, without exception, needs what Jesus has to offer. They're either separate from him, they're like broken in that sort of way, like they don't know Jesus as savior of their lives, or they, they do recognize that and they are in, kind of in recovery from being a sinner, you know, like now you're a saint, you're used to be a sinner and so you're, you're struggling with that transition. And so all of us are constantly needing to be at the feet of our rabbi, Jesus, all the time. And so what the church does is it's this really beautiful orchestration of, of we're constantly, we're, we're going, there our, going to Jesus ourselves and we're helping other people get to him as well. And some of you, some of you can get to him on your own. Like where you are in your life right now, you can get to him completely on your own. And some of you are in a place where you're like, well, I think I need some help. 
kind of like the kind of like the sick that they were bringing on their mats. It reminds me of the, of, of the story where the, the friends, there's a paralytic on a mat and his friends cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down. It's kind of like that kind of thing. Where we don't know if the, if the man on the mat said, hey, will you help me? Or if the friends were like, hey, let's help our friend. We're not sure who initiated it. But bottom line is they got him to Jesus. That's kind of all that matters. And so whether you can get to him on your own or whether you need some help, that is what we do. That's what the church does. That's what we need to be doing for one another. And so, what we really see here, if I was to zoom in a little bit closer, is we see a life of, of this church word called intercession. Intercession means, is another way of saying to intercede, to, to step in, to, to be a bridge So those who recognized Jesus became a bridge. They became intercessors for the sick who needed to get to him. They said, we will help you do what you cannot do on your own. You may not even be aware of who this is, but we know who he is. We know what you need. And so a life of intercession can kind of look different ways. And it's it's a part of what we are called to do. And so I want to talk for a few minutes about just, I just came up with just four ways that we can be the kind of intercessors that we see here, bringing people to the feet of Jesus. And before I get into that, though, I want to make a, there's just, just a little side note. In Colossians 3.17, Paul speaks, he, he talks in terms of words and deeds. Whatever I do, whether in word or in deed. And when it comes to being an intercessor, when it comes to, to being a bridge between someone who needs to get to Jesus and Jesus... We in America tend to, we tend to lean more toward the deeds than the words, don't we? Maybe not everyone. Have you ever heard the, you know, the quote, um, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but there's debate over if he said it or not. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. And we're like, cool, so I don't have to talk to people about Jesus. Awesome. I can just... I can just do good things and he'll use that. And which is true. Like our deeds are important. But if we really want to follow in the path of our rabbi, Jesus was not a mime. Right? Was he a mime? Did I miss that? He's not a mime. What do mimes do? They, I'm not going to show you. you know, some of y'all are getting nervous. I could tell. You're like, ah. They act something out until you figure out like, oh, he's trapped in a box. Okay, you know, like, like oh, I see what's going on here. And I think that's, that sometimes it's easy to default into that part of that quote of like, yeah, when necessary, use words. And, we're, and necessary is a huge exception for us. And most of the time, we're like, I'm just going to act this out and hope that they catch on that this is what we're doing. This is what I'm doing. I'm trapped in a box. You, know, you need Jesus, you know, that kind of thing. When in reality, Jesus was, he was constantly using his deeds, absolutely, but he was also talking a lot. He spoke truth a lot. He prayed, he prayed a lot. He, uh, he preached a lot. So it has to be words and deeds. And Jesus is the one that knows when someone needs, they need actions. Sometimes he knows when they need words. Sometimes he knows when they need both. And so we have to be very open to both the actions and the words and if we want to really be like our rabbi. 
So, how do we bring people to Jesus as intercessors? Here's, there's four of them. Here's number one. Uh, prayer. Hey. Most of the time when you hear, uh, like, it's like, oh, he's, a, he's really a, a, a very deep intercessor. That usually we think of, of prayer, intercessory prayer. I'm going, to, I'm going to stand in the gap for you. Be, I'm going to, like, I'm going to be between you and the Lord. I'm going to like be that bridge. I'm going to pray for you. And so our prayers are one way that we can bring people before the Lord. Um, and so praying for them and asking God for like for that burden for people. Prioritizing this in your prayer life. Like when you, when you think around your life and you think who, who needs to get to Jesus? Whether, there's, whether they are a Christian or they are not, not a Christian, who, like, what's going on in the lives around me of someone that just really needs what Jesus has to offer? And how can I stand in the gap for them? Whether they're going for it or not, like, how can I be an intercessor? How can I be a bridge for them? And so bringing people to Jesus in prayer is a real thing. That's what Jesus is doing for us at this very moment. Not only praying for them, but don't hesitate to pray with them. Don't shy away from it. it there's, a, there's a very strong ministry that happens when there's someone who's going through something and you believe in what Jesus has to offer them enough to say, hey, uh, can, we, can we pray? Like, I'm, I'm praying for you, but can I pray with you? And, some, and, and I understand, like, if, if, you, if that makes you nervous, just the thought of a coworker, a neighbor, you know, someone who maybe like isn't a Christian, that kind of stuff. I, it makes you nervous to think of like turning that corner with them in conversation. And I understand that because I'm, I'm the same way. But if we really recognize Jesus for who he is, and we know that he is who they need, then to not pray with them to me, it's kind of similar to if someone on the, in the story stood on the shore of the boat and they recognized them and everyone was like, let's go get sick people. And they're like, ah, I'm cool. Y'all go get them. I'll get things ready here. I'll get ready to receive them. To me, it feels kind of the same way of like, I recognize them and I know who needs them, but not enough to turn that corner because it might get awkward. But I bet you'd be surprised if you said, hey, can we have prayer about this? And you pray for them, and you walk away. You'd be surprised what that does for them. You'd be surprised how God can use that. And so don't be shy about it. But prayer is, is a way that we bring people to the feet of Jesus. Prayer for them, pray, prayer with them. And so if you want to be the, a true intercessor, that's one place to start, is in prayer. Second thing, you could bring them to church. You can literally bring them into this building or into your community group, your small group, whatever. And, and I say that, and I'm not saying, like, I don't want to give off, like, any sort of strange thing, like, Jesus is, he's more here than he is other places or anything. So, presence of God, 100% everywhere. But Jesus does something when the saints are together. Like, he... He, he moves among us in a very special way. 
That when we are, when we are, are, are singing and we're telling him that he is holy, when we are telling him that he is worthy, there's something that is going on. And whether it's a, someone who's a Christian or they're not a Christian, it really doesn't matter. There's something about being in a room with the name of Jesus being lifted above every name that does something. And so when I say bring him to church, it's not because he's more present here, but he does something special here. And there are people who need what the gathering of the saints can provide. So when, rhetorical question here, when was the last time you invited someone that, to church, you know? Like someone who, who really needed, the, like, you're like, I recognize who Jesus is, and these are, like, he, he is who you're looking for, whether you know it or not. I'm going to actually, I'm, like, I'm going I'm to invite you to come with me to this thing. I don't know when the last time was that you, that you did that. I, um, I was talking with someone recently and they were like, it was someone I was kind of getting to know, uh, that I live nearby and uh, he and his wife were like, what time's your service? Reverend, you know, what time is, what time is mass? You know, I was like, um, uh, 10, you know, 10, 15. Like, we're definitely going to come. I walked away. I was like, man, that was easy. You know, I didn't have to do anything. And God's like, yeah, that's not really the same as inviting them, but it's, it's still good. I'm still in it, of course. I'll tell you this. When I was in college, many moons ago, I first started going to the, to the, the BCM, uh, which is the, the Baptist, like the campus gathering there. Uh, uh, it's a campus ministry gathering. And so I first started going. There's this thing on Thursday nights called TNT. And so everyone was like, bring people to TNT. So I was going and I had some friends that I was, uh, that, I, that were not Christians. And, um, I was like, Hey, I'm going to this thing. Do I want to go? And they're like, yeah, we'll go. So I went and two, two things happened. One, uh, none of, no one at the BCM talked to them. This is a long time ago. So y'all don't go telling Steve, I dragged BCM through the mud. Uh, nobody talked to them. Like nobody literally like, um, it was painful. And they were, they really hindered my experience. Like, and I say, I say that, I, like, that was my thinking at the time. I look back on it. It was very shallow of me. I get it. But I was like having to walk around, like introducing the people. And like, I, I didn't know what to do standing next to them when the songs were going on. And I didn't really know, like, it just, I felt like they were like dragging me down the whole time. I, didn't, I felt like I wasn't getting the most out of my Thursday night experience. And so I never, I never brought them back. They didn't want to go back, believe me, because nobody talked to them. They thought it was weird. But I never, I never invited another person that I, that I can think of. And years later than that, I realized, like, wow, that's a very self-centered reason to not bring them. Because, uh, like, I wanted to get the most that I could out of my experience. It was so, I was so self-absorbed with it. I was like, well, everybody else, don't, whatever. They need what Jesus has to offer, but I do too. What about me? And I wasn't willing to be hospitable to them. I wasn't willing to bring people, introduce them, get them involved in conversation. I wasn't willing to like, make them a part of the experience. I, I divided it as though Jesus cannot do something in my own heart and life while I'm next to these friends that I brought. You know, It was just so backwards looking back on it. 
but I don't think I'm alone. And I've talked to people over the years that, and, and they've said the same thing. They're like, well, I've, I've brought people before, but no one talked to them. Or I brought people, but I felt so hindered and it was strange and I didn't, you know, whatever. And, and, and church is kind of about me. Oh, okay. So we, we had to push past that. And so I'm not like my goal as, as one of the pastors here is not like, we need to be bringing people. We need to fill this place up. We need to go to multiple services. We need to build another, a bigger campus. We need to build, that ain't what I'm going for. Believe me. However, if God has put people in your life and obedience for you means in, inviting them, bringing them, introducing them, like uh, your experience maybe being different than if they weren't with you, they weren't with you, but you still being able to like, connect with the Lord and all those kind of things. Like if that's what God has for you in connection to someone who needs what He has to offer, then you have to do it. You have to do it. And if we get to a point where there's not enough chairs in here, not enough parking spots, or whatever it is, we'll figure out what to do. So the goal is not to become a megachurch. The goal is to be faithful, always. So we bring them to Jesus in prayer. We bring them to Jesus by bringing him to the gatherings of the saints. The third one um, is this little thing called hospitality. Hospitality is when you are making space in your life for other people. Creating space for them. Time. Time is a, uh, is a precious commodity for us right now as a culture. I don't know that we've ever been more busy in history than we are right now. Preoccupied, distracted. But if there are people in our lives who, who need to get to Jesus, then a part of that is us creating space in our lives to invite them in. To have them over for dinner. To grab coffee with them. You know, to like take a lunch break and go sit with a coworker and invite, like, to make that kind of space for them. Bring them into your life. And when you're with them, you talk about real stuff. We have enough shallow, surface level relationships in our lives. But if someone is, is in need of Jesus and you're standing on the shore and you recognize them and, and God puts that person on your mind and you go to get them. You bring them to him in prayer. Maybe you bring him, bring them to him uh, to church or whatever. But you might be called to bring them into your own house or into your own life somehow. That you, that you show them you're welcome in my life, and God uses that welcome to remind them that that they're welcome in His life as well. That's the thing that, uh, about hospitality that God, like, he's able to use those things uh, to communicate to people, like, hey, I feel the same way about you. So if you have a coworker and you are a, like, professing Christian in the workplace, which I hope you are, and they're like, oh, that, that Christian person, like, has space in their life for me. No one else has space in their life for anybody. They've created space for me. That, that person like cares about me. We get lunch sometimes and then they ask me like real questions. We don't just talk about surfacey things. They ask me like real questions. They follow up on stuff. They they know the names of my kids. They know the the they know that I'm I'm dealing with this bigger family issue. They know that this problem at work has them really stressed out. They follow up with me. All those things that are going on, God's using it to say, yeah, a, 
like that's what Christians do because that's, that, that's who God is. God cares about those things too. And so hospitality is a way that we bring people to Jesus and having those meaningful conversations. And the fourth thing is sometimes you have to go, you have to, go to them. Like you have to bring Jesus to them. So in the story, right, Jesus is there and they're, they're, they're bringing the sick on their mats. And they're bringing them to Jesus. But sometimes it kind of is, the, it's a little bit different. It would be like if you took Jesus' hand, it's like, hey, we're going to go visit this person. And the Holy Spirit has made it possible for us to do that now because through the Spirit, Christ is manifest in, in each one of us. So, so there's like when you go into someone's house, when you go and you have coffee with someone, when you, uh, when you go to them, you're literally bringing Jesus to them. And so whether, whether we're talking about bringing people to Jesus or bringing Jesus to them, all these different ways that we press it together, the bottom line is we as Christians, are, are, that is what we are supposed to do. That's what we're called to do, what we're invited to do, is we recognize him. And we look around our lives and we're like, who do I know that's hurting? Who do I know that's struggling? And, and, and you go before the Lord and you say, Lord, how, how do you want me to get them to you? Do you want me to intercede for them? Do you want me to pray with, pray with them at some point? Do you want me to invite them to something? Do you want me to, like, to bring them to church or invite them to dinner or just go grab coffee after work? Or do, like, do I need to, to think of it as more like, I'm, I'm going to bring Jesus to them because they won't come to me. Like, uh, like, how does it need to work? And at the end of the day, real intercession, like real ministry for you and I is just saying, God, I know someone who is sick. What do I need to do? How do I, how do, I do this thing? How do you want me to handle this? And he knows. And he'll tell you. He'll show you. If you're having trouble discerning that, it's part of why, where community comes in to help, where we can help you kind of figure that out. But at the end of the day, being around Jesus makes people want Jesus. That's what we see in the story. When you're around him, you want to be with him. So let me close with, with, with something. You don't need to turn to Joel 2, but there's a verse in Joel 2 that I think could maybe sum it up well. And I hope this hasn't been too boring for you. Sometimes the room gets really still. I'm like, oh no, it's not good. In Joel chapter two, there's this verse. It's verse 17. It says, between the vestibule or the porch and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? So, if you were to read the book of Joel, that would make a whole lot more sense. At the end of the verse is not really what I want to look at. I wanted you to look at the, between the vestibule and the altar, what are the priests doing? They're weeping. And they're praying. And it just tells us what they're praying. So here's, here's where, where that comes from. If you were to look at Solomon's temple and a drawing of it, there's, the, there's an altar where the sacrifices were made. There's a porch that, that is like outside of the building where all the people were. And the people were not permitted to come in into the temple. The people had to be on the outside. But the priests could be between the porch... And where the altar was. 
That was the place where the priests were. And that was where the priests would offer up prayers on behalf of the people. So the priests were literally a bridge between the people and God. And what were they doing? They were praying. That that is what the ministry of the priesthood looked like for them. And the way the temple is designed is the priests would pray and would pray loudly. And they would weep. And the people on the porch could hear the prayers being offered up on their behalf. And that is, that's us. We are the priests between the porch and the altar. We're the priests in the middle. It says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. They were the bridge. We are the bridge. They were priests. Jesus, as our priest, has made us all priests. So congratulations. And we are the ones standing between the people and God, between the porch and the altar. And we're crying out to him. And that intercession can look different ways. But at the end of the day, picture Jesus on the shore and people coming out of the woods with people on, on beds and mats and carrying them to him. That's, that's who we are. That's how, like what it, we're called to. That's the privilege that is ours. So you might, you might feel drawn to the role of intercessor in application of this. You might be scanning your life thinking who is hurting, who, who needs what Jesus has to offer that I can intercede for. Good. Stand in the gap for them. Be obedient. Now you might identify more with someone who needs help getting to Jesus or needs help staying there. And so please let people know that. If you're in a small group of any sort, let them know. And let them stand in the gap for you. The truth is, we're probably all both. <laughs> we're, we should be scanning our lives for those who need to get to Jesus. And we need ourselves to be getting to Jesus. And there's enough Jesus to go around. There's always enough of him to go around. And so no matter, no matter what, our call is to be faithful. And so I hope by being here this morning, you feel more spurred on to do that. So we're going to have our response time that we normally have. And um, I want to just kind of run through kind of how this is going to roll. And even if you feel like you've heard it before, just be still and listen. Um, the, the steps down here are open for prayer. And so if intercession for you this morning means you're going to come down and you're going to pray for someone or pray for yourself, they're here to do that. Um, that's, what, that's the whole purpose of these steps. <laughs> and we'll have some ministers here on the front that will be glad to pray with you if that would be helpful. You can give at our giving stations. You can sing with us as we go. Um, but communion, in terms of thinking, do I need what Jesus is offering to me? 
Pretend that Jesus is the one standing at the station, that he is the one offering himself to you, and you are receiving his body broken for you, that you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, the blood of Christ poured out for you, and you you literally invite him in. And something very special happens when, when we do that. And so there's intercession opportunities all over the place, whether it's singing or giving um, or receiving communion or, or in prayer. But I would just encourage you before the, the crazy, craziness of Sunday kicks off here in a few minutes to steward these closing moments well with whatever's going on within you, whatever you feel called to. So let me invite you to stand. Jesus, I'm thankful for a simple story that is uh, that is beautiful to imagine. That everywhere you went, whether it was a city or a village or a country, some place on the countryside, that those who recognized you were bringing the sick to you and asking you to just be you. And so however that takes shape in our lives, we want to be obedient. We want to be faithful. We want to love you and love others to the point where we're willing to do whatever it takes. And so for those this morning who feel really drawn to, to intercede for someone, I pray that you'd help them do that and know how to do that this morning. And for those who need others to, to bring them to you, those who just feel like they need help getting there, give them the courage to speak up or to ask for that, whether it's today or afterwards. The bottom line is, Jesus, you have made it, uh, you've made it safe for us to come and say we need help. You've come to restore that brokenness in our relationship to you and to each other and to ourselves. We can't do it on our own, but through you we can do things. And pray that these moments help us to process all that in, in a way that honors you, in a way that pushes us forward into what you have for us. We love you deeply. We thank you for loving us first. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, our communion rules are open. You can come and do any of these things whenever you're ready.